Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Peak Human Project. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different from the first two because today I have a guest. And so my guest today is Michael Ban. Uh, Michael is a really good friend of mine and he also happens to be a coach as well. Um, and what makes Michael a little different from other coaches is that he really likes to integrate both holistic, traditional, uh, physical therapy type of modalities and all of that kind of information into the fitness programs that he writes for his clients. He has a lot of experience with uh, military and um, law enforcement personnel. Uh, he has conducted thousands and thousands of in-person assessments um, and worked with thousands of clients in order to help them push their performance just a little bit farther and more importantly, uh, keep them healthy along the way. Um, Michael's a really smart guy, somebody that I look up to as sort of a mentor, although in the episode you'll actually learn that at one point in time I was kind of a mentor to him. So it's kind of come full circle for the both of us and um, you know, it's a pleasure to call him a friend uh, and I really hope that you guys enjoy uh, listening to him talk and learning a little bit about how he does his assessments and how he thinks about fitness. Uh, so without further ado, Please welcome my guest, Michael Ban. Hi, man. Are we are we recording right now? I already started recording. But oh, sweet, we got bloopers. Yeah, we got Woo! we got B roll now. Nice. But uh, dude, it's really crazy how for me, like we've known each other a while now. Obviously, yeah. uh, I was a TA um, in anatomy and physiology. I was teaching anatomy lab, and then like, I remember you being a student. You were like, uh, actually, I remember as funny enough, like we had like a, a lab where we had to like test hand grip strength. Yeah. And uh, you were like, dude, what did you get? Because he wanted to beat mine. Because I was like, I was a bigger guy then. So like I looked like I had some strength. But uh, yeah, I think you did beat me because I'm not that strong anyways. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, dude, and you were like had a passion for it and you yeah. really wanted to do it. You ended up becoming a TA yourself. Yeah. We were, so we became colleagues in that sense. And then we kind of like lost touch because I went to grad school. And uh, but then I, I remember like seeing you get like I was like, wow, Michael's killing it. He's got like, he's working at, at this company called OPEX and he's, you know, got looks like he's got all these clients. He's doing what I want to do for a living. And so I remember reaching out to you. I think it was like 2016 and I was coming back home. Um, for like a little visit just after the semester had ended. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hey, Michael, uh, you know, I don't know if you remember me. Like, I'm going to be back in town. Could I come by and shadow you for a day? And I was like, this is like a big deal to me because it's like, this is Michael Ban, And he's like, awesome. And you responded. You're like, yeah, man, let's let's do it. When are you coming in? And I did the shadowing thing with you. And you ever since then, I've been learning from you, man. It's been it's been a cool journey. But now like it's a pleasure for me to have you on the podcast, to have you, um, you know, call me a colleague because it's like I never thought that would happen, but it's been awesome, dude. I would say the same. I never would have thought. Uh, you know what I mean? Like I looked up to you when I was a student. Yeah. So it's, uh, we learn from each other for sure. Yeah. Well, that's kind of how it is in this. I think that's how it should be in this business is like. Should be. I see a lot of people, a lot of coaches that are kind of afraid to learn from each other or afraid that it, like if they show that they don't know something that that means they're a terrible coach or that you know yeah. 
their clients are all going to fire fire them because they don't know what they're doing. In fact, you know, um, I see it a lot when like people get injured, say, and they need somebody to help them with like rehab and stuff like that. And yeah. there's only so much you can do as an online coach, right? If I'm not there or you're not there, you can't. You can give them some stuff, say, hey, try this, but then eventually you might need to refer to somebody else, which is kind of funny. Where there's like a line there between practitioner and coach like yeah. where does it where does a coach coach's role end where does a practitioner's job begin as far as like a physical therapist or something like how do you navigate that with your client uh i just recognize what my expertise is and if it sits if it sit out if it sits outside of my expertise yeah i just tell the client straight up hey this is out of my expertise this is what i believe is happening I need you to find somebody that understands these things. Mm -hmm. Or even if it's within my expertise, like neurodynamics, like I'm by no means a Dr. Barron sure. you know, when it comes to neurodynamics or Michael Shacklock, but I understand enough to be like, yeah, like we need to do some stuff for your peripheral nervous system. Unfortunately, I, I can't do that from 10,000 miles away. Right. So you need to find somebody that understands this or has read this book, The Sensitive right. Nervous System by David Butler. Yeah. And that's kind of how I usually approach it. But in terms of like practitioner versus coach, coaches are practitioners. Yeah. Just like physical therapists are practitioners. We're just working on a continuum. So right. I just think in terms of like, where do I sit on that continuum? And when do I have to send that to someone else to help them further get further along on the continuum? Um, I consider coaches practitioners 100%. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Practicing a craft. I think it's just like you said, there are different areas of expertise within the spectrum of being yeah. a practitioner. Yeah. I know how to build good strength programs. I know how to get people strong and stuff like that. That's, that's almost a form of physical therapy. It's just that physical therapy is like on a more, you know, lower level, getting people from pain to the first progression that they should be doing. Yeah on to being able to do something that I give them, you know? But uh, have you ever, have you ever like run into resistance with your clients? Like maybe people saying like, oh, well, shouldn't you be doing this for me or something like that? All the time. Yeah, yeah all the time. And less and less these days, because I think that my, my communication skills are probably a little bit better than when I was, yeah. you know, in my first eight, nine years of this. Um, but I definitely still struggle with that where they're like, why can't you do that for me? Yeah. And you know, it kind of makes sense why clients might say that because one, like they're already paying good money Two, they may be in pain. And if they're in pain, like you're already in like a volatile emotional state because you're like, my back hurts coach. I can't deadlift. And I have a goal of hitting a 200 kilogram deadlift. Why can't you help me? Like they're going to get upset and they're going right. to be very frustrated because they can't do what they love. Right. So absolutely people, you know, kind of quote unquote lash out at me and it just comes down to being like, Hey, listen, like I totally get it. I know that you're in a hard spot right now. I promise you this is a season of life in the iron game. Everybody tweaks their back at yeah. some point. Everybody gets a shoulder tweak at some point when you're trying to bench press big weight, right. trying to fill three wheels on the bar, you're going to get a tweak. Yeah. And uh, just trying to communicate with them and also show them that there's been numerous times that that's happened to me and just being like, hey, you know, like even me as a coach, like I, I'm the guy that's supposed to be like perfect and I'm still getting tweaks here and there yeah. because I decided to go eat some fast food the day before, some Chipotle and I don't sleep and you know, it accumulates yeah. and next thing you know, it accumulates. Ooh. So, you know, it happens yeah. to me all the time. I think that's really, that's a really good point because I feel like there's, there's also this, um, this growing, I guess, idea that 
you could prevent injury completely and that you can get to a place where you never get hurt and you know you're going to be feeling great all the time and i think people in the know would tell you that like you said if if you're lifting heavy weights and you're trying to maybe win powerlifting competitions or crossfit competitions or even just get strong as hell for yourself yeah that's a lot of weight to be putting on your body in your hands on your back it's it's um uh dr spina from frc he said it pretty well he was like you know lifting weights fighting mma whatever you know that stuff is not human nature that's not paleo yeah right like we're not supposed to do that you're not supposed to put 200 kilos on your spine and sit down right i can maybe see an argument for lifting 200 kilos because you got to lift a carcass because you know we hunt and kill food but you know when you take yourself out of the human element there's a risk yeah totally but you know everybody dies not everyone lives yeah before we get too much into the stuff because we could talk about this forever and all of a sudden it'll be two hours i want to i want you to be able to talk a little bit about you where you came from like how you got started um i know you have a master's degree in kinesiology um fdnp uh we can explain that like what that is yeah um but yeah go ahead and give the listeners a little bit of an idea of who Michael Bann is. <laughs> the resident fitness nerd. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the Aspie fitness nerd. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I'm just a dude that likes solving puzzles in fitness. So, yeah. um, you know, kind of like if you've ever seen, what's that show, House MD, right? Like yeah, Dr. You go, House. Yeah, you go to Dr. House, not Ben House, but like Dr. House yeah. in the show. Um, yeah. And you, you go to that, you go to his clinic and you're like, man, I got the, I got a fever and I got the sniffles. Right. And he's like, you have the flu. Get out of my office. That's not even a challenge. Right. And he's kind of an asshole about it, which I, I try not to be an asshole about it, but I love working with the people who are like, hey, I feel terrible. I love fitness, but I can't do the kind of fitness I love. And uh, no one can tell me why. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, come to me. Let me figure this out. Let me assess yeah. this puzzle. and. Let's dig in. I mean, what could it possibly be? So I have this like super deep infatuation with finding truth um, and then trying to like figure out how to like put the dots together. So assessment is like my thing. And, you know, we think of assessment as like, oh, you're going to assess movement or, oh, you're going to assess structural balance and biomechanics. Like, yeah, that's part of it. But also like assessing how well somebody tolerates glucose or assessing gut health or assessing kidney function or all those things, mm-hmm. all that stuff goes into fitness. Sure. So, I mean, I went to, to grad school. Yeah. My, my graduate degree is in kinesiology. My concentration was in basically more or less human performance. Like how do I make humans better? And throughout studying and, and reading all the research I had to read and writing papers and all that stuff that we do in grad school, I kind of realized, I was like, you know what? Like there's a million and one ways to make people faster, but what is something that they're all doing the same? Because mm-hmm. they all have different programs, but what are some of the things that they're doing the same? And I started to realize that there's more to performance enhancement um, than just program design. And then I started looking at injuries and I really dug into pain science and, and injuries because there's a lot of parallels in the biopsychosocial model of pain and the performance model of sport. And I started drawing from those parallels and I became very obsessed with like the patterns. And so, you know, like me, like being on the spectrum, like Asperger's, like I'm very observant of patterns. And I think the the term I heard recently was called like, I think in terms of patternicity. Okay. So I would see patterns in the biopsychosocial model of pain and I would see 
lots and lots of patterns in performance. And I started to draw from both of them for my assessment process. And I started to see like, oh wow, like chronic inflammation can cause a whole host of issues in the body over time. So what happens as we start to increase intensity and um, throughout grad school, I started to realize that we really focus too much on the program design, which is fair, like as new coaches, that's like what we want to learn, right? Like rep sure. sets, DUP bro, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but then we forget that you may be only spending 6% of your week in the gym. Yeah. So what are we doing with the other 94%? What is your circadian biology like? What's your glucose tolerance like? What's your gut health like? What are your hormones like? You know, what yeah. is um, your oxygen delivery like? You know, yeah. do you have adequate hemoglobin and red blood cells? Can you actually deliver oxygen to your tissues? Or do you have some form of subclinical anemia that a doctor might be like, yeah, you look fine. Yeah. But, you know, for a couch potato, you are fine. Like your blood work looks great for a couch potato. But not for an athlete. Yeah, you want to you want to sprint a 4240? Yeah. You can't look like a couch potato. Right. So... I started to see a lot of those trends um, or those patterns, I guess you would call it in, in grad school. And I just became like really hyper-focused on it. Um, and then I started looking at like psychosomatic medicine and I went down like the, the Dr. John Sarno route talking about emotional repression, you know, eventually, you know, it being expressed as pain like fibromyalgia and even more milder cases of that. And we started talking about psychosomatics and how there's a lot of parallels to that. Mm -hmm as there are to uh, fitness. Like we'll use CrossFit as an example, double unders. You know, every CrossFitter knows what a double under is. Sure. Um, I would have clients that could do double unders, 300 of them in a three minute AMRAP. Wow. Pretty much unbroken. Went out without any type of like emotional attachment. The second they had double unders in an open workout or any competition, mm. they would trip all the time. Yeah. Like, why can you do it just in a warm up? Hey, just do a three minute AM rep. Oh, I did 300 unbroken, coach. All right, that's yeah. great. You hear the wind? Yeah, the wind's crazy. Yeah, man. My, Got my, like a vortex in here. My apartment's haunted. It's yeah. pretty cool. Um, first time I heard that, yeah. it was like 1 a.m. Freaked me out. I was Holy like, what is going on? Dude, I'd be freaking out. <laughs> it big was time. nuts. Um, yeah. But yes, yeah, so and then they go into the open workout or a competition and they're tripping every 10 reps. Yeah. Like emotional attachment to things. Sure. can change physiology and performance. Right. I mean, when when Chandler walked down the aisle, did you not have a, a physiological Absolutely. reaction? Absolutely. Right? Like you tear up, you get butterflies. You can't even help it. Yeah. yeah. So I started thinking about that and I was like, you know, we know that when we get like nervous, like stuff can happen to the gut. Like we have people that have like, you know, they get, they get nervous and they have diarrhea. Yeah. Why can't you get nervous and have other stuff? Why right. can't you get excited and have other stuff? Yeah. So I started digging into like chronic pain, and how it had a lot of parallels with performance. Hmm. And then where does pain come from? Is it is it mechanical? Is it movement? And uh, I think for the first maybe six, seven years of coaching, I, I really dug into the FMS. I was super obsessed with like movement is pain because I, I bought into the FMS crowd and I really bought into that like that 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 dogma if you want to call it that. And uh, I did about twelve thousand FMSs, um, maybe a little bit more roughly around 12,000 wow. and I collected that's a, lot. a lot. That's a lot folks. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I, I would do about a couple hundred a month cause I had access to that many people yeah. cause I was working in a gym and I would just F mess everybody. Yeah. And then I would give them their corrective exercises and then I'd do it again in a month and see what changed. I was like, you're not getting any better. 
Why aren't not you getting, getting any better? better within the context of that test? Right? Yeah, like your screen, you're not getting better. Yeah. And so I, I, I was like, wait, I'm doing what these guys tell me to do and these people right. aren't getting better. So then I went and figured out, like I did all the SFMA coursework and I went and did the SFMA and I kind of like weaseled my way in because I'm not a doctor. Um, and I just kind of like went and yeah. uh, they'll take your money, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, sure. I don't care. So I did that and uh, I followed their, their framework, like the four by four matrix and all that and people were still not getting better. Um, and I was scoring a 21 at the time on the FMS and I was chronically getting injured. I was mm-hmm. always getting hurt. Like I had great movement, smart programming, and stuff would just get tweaked. Yeah. Like I tore my meniscus front squatting 50% of my one rep, nice and slow, just warming wow. up. Yeah. 50% and it just tore. It's kind of like when people say, when people hurt their back, it's usually like putting a weight back on the weight tree. They lift their picking toaster. Up, picking up their yeah. kid off the ground or yeah. something like that. Meanwhile, they're deadlifting 600 pounds, no problem. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, or like I, I was uh, split jerking 225 pounds and I like cracked a little bit of cartilage in my rib. Wow. And I could split jerk like 350 or whatever at the time. It's like 225 is a joke, right? Right. And so I would always have these minor tweaks and sprains. And at the time, my coach was like, dude, why are you so fragile? I'm like, bro, I don't know. Like, I'm pretty mentally tough. Yeah. Like, I like to push it. And so I started to realize there's more to this movement thing. And mm-hmm. I think CrossFit really opened my eyes to that because I've done personal training. I've done CrossFit coaching. I've done a lot of individual design, obviously. And for my stint in group fitness, I would see people who move terribly getting better and out of pain and getting stronger and performing better, but not moving better based on a screen Mm. that started not making sense to me Mm -hmm. and thinking in patterns. I was like, that's, that's, I guess you would say incongruent. And I was like, that doesn't, something doesn't add up. Yeah. So I started really digging more into like other areas. And, uh, and then eventually I heard about like, some different mentors that have, that became mentors of mine, but I heard of these people like Dr. Tom, for example, Sure. and Dr. Tom, who had been practicing, you know, naturopathic medicine for, uh, 43 years or whatever. I started listening to him talk and, and, uh, eventually he taught me a lot and I'm forever grateful for it. Even the little bit he did teach me. And I realized that pain is well beyond mechanics. And then in grad school, I read all the research on, the FMS and how movement screens aren't validated to predict pain or injury in the first place. Yeah. So I, I don't believe you can have an injury prevention program, but I do believe you can have a resiliency enhancing program. Yeah, I think it's a good point because I mean, um, I forgot what book it was that I read. I'm forgetting the name right now, but they talked about monks, I believe, who have to carry these large loads on their back up and down a mountain every day. And if you, they, they actually took these monks and they, they did an MRI and it showed that they had herniations all over their spine. Yep. However, they had no pain whatsoever. Yep. So there's something more going on there, right? Totally. Whereas you can actually get somebody with no, no significant findings on an MRI, no yep. herniations, nothing looks wrong. They're in terrible pain. Yep. So where, where, you know, that's where it's like, there's something else. There's a bigger picture going on. We're only looking at it through this small lens. Yeah, yeah, and that's actually being a, a remote coach. A lot of my clients live in parts of the world there where their medical professionals are not current on scientific literature, mm. and uh, it's not their fault. Like they, they didn't choose to be born and live there. Right. And so I have like for example one client of mine who's in Saudi Arabia, and her doctor was like, oh yeah, you have this herniation. That's why your back hurts. Mm. And I was like, no, like all the other tests you did that are required for specific sensitivity, not just sensitivity or negative. Like you don't, your herniation is there. Yes, I totally, I know that you have a herniation, 
but it's not the cause of your pain. Right. But it's hard to get that through to the client's eyes when their doctor is like, yeah, you see, you have back pain and you have this herniation. Like, yeah, it's your herniation. Yeah. Like the old school ortho surgeons, squatting is terrible for your knees. All of my uh, patients squat and I have to replace all their knees. Maybe they're just not squatting right, doc. Sure. The ones that squat right don't come to you. So right. there's a level of like there's a confirmation bit of bias, bias there. Yeah, confirmation yeah. bias. For and sure. so, you know, 80 to 90% of the population will have something on an MRI. Yeah. But it's like they're not walking around. I think pain. by the time you reach like the age of 50, like chances are you have a torn rotator cuff. Hopefully, hopefully you've lived know. a little life. Yeah. Exactly. You know, if you're unscathed at 50 years old, shame on you for not living life. <laughs> yeah. Like I just had a hole in my knee because I fell off a scooter in Nusa Panita. Yeah. It was totally yeah, it's a good. It's a good, um, it's a good point. Like I've got a, a client, Lane Norton, who, yeah, he's got disc herniations in his lower yeah. back. He still has them. Yeah. I, I, if we put him through the MRI today, he would be... It would show up with herniations. I guarantee it. He just got back on the platform. He deadlifted a PR, all-time total PR. Still has the same herniations he had two years ago when yeah. he was he was literally on the floor, screaming in pain. He couldn't move. Yeah. But if you look at what's going on in his life back then, he had uh, personal issues within his life. He had business issues going on. He was, you know, not sure if he's going to be able to pay his bills kind of thing. Like yeah. all this different stuff, probably not eating well, staying in a hotel, totally. all this crazy stuff. Yeah. Back was telling him he, c he can't handle this stuff anymore. Yeah. And I mean, we can't discount the fact that you also can have back pain because of Absolutely. problems. Like sure. don't try and Jefferson curl 300 kilos. Right. Duh. But the state of somebody's like emotion can change the feeling of pain. So the experience of pain is massively important. Right. You stub your toe when you've only slept three hours, that's painful. Like yeah. you're just cursing up a storm. Yeah. You stub your toe as you walk up to collect a million dollar check, whatever, I'll buy no, a new toe. No problem. Yeah. yeah. So emotional states change, um, cortisol and hormonal issues can change and alter pain levels. You know, we see, I see a lot of my females with progesterone issues have chronic pain. Mm -hmm. and then that gets rectified and pain gone. Yeah. We see cortisol and substance P, you know, which is something that has a lot to do with pain. Well, how do you get that? I don't know, man. Like chronic inflammation is one way. Liver congestion, kidney function, all so many ways. And, uh, you know, I think it's slowly coming around where PTs are starting to realize like, oh yeah, like chiropractic adjustments, not three times a week needed. Yeah. Um, so it's it's slow. So backing up a little bit, it sounds to me like you probably do like as far as assessments goes. Like, are you looking at blood work? Are you looking at like what kinds of markers are you looking at when you get somebody as far as yeah. what's going on under the hood? Um, so my assessment when I take on a client is always based on what they want. So okay. a client's gonna basically walk up, take my money. Yeah. I'm gonna be like, all right, like what do you want? What do you want for your money? And so I always want to make sure that whatever I assess is pertinent towards the goals that they have. Sure. You're not just going to run yeah. a shotgun approach to whatever you're doing and see what you find. You're Correct. Gonna, it's going to be specific. Yeah. yeah. So uh, when clients come to me and they've had like chronic issues or they've just been stuck in fitness, uh, I can think of one client actually, um, I won't say names for privacy, but she had massive amounts of shoulder pain and she was in chronic pain. And I was like, this just doesn't make sense because she actually has, she's a, she's a clinician and she has a graduate degree and she rehabs people for a living. Like yeah. She understands mechanics quite well. And I talked to her and I was like, well, what have you done? She's like, well, I've done everything DNS and blah, 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 and yada, yada, yada. And I was like, all right, well, 
thank you for getting rid of that for me because that clearly wasn't a problem because if it was, it would have been fixed and you wouldn't be here. Yeah. So I, with her, we went down the blood work rabbit hole. And when I look at blood work, I'm not looking to treat disease. I'm not trying to be a doctor, right. um, which is something that I'm very clear with clients. I'm like, hey, if I see red flags, like if your glucose is 150 fasting, We're you're gonna, you to I'm, I'm sending yeah. you to somebody that can help you with that. But I will look and I see a lot of patterns in the numbers and there's things you can do training wise as well as nutrition wise to really help people. And you know, honestly, in some cases, yeah, some supplements can be very beneficial. So yeah. as an example, somebody comes to me chronically tired, they can't seem to break through plateaus. I look at a CBC with a differential. I notice low white blood cells and I notice high macrophages. I'm not macrophages, I'm sorry, monocytes, which mm -hmm. macrophages eventually, but um, monocytes have this ability to leave the blood and go elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And there into is- the Into the tissues, you're saying. Yeah, okay. yeah, and there's evidence that shows that monocytes will go into damaged muscle tissue and do their thing. And, and what would they be doing there? Repair. Repair? Pretty much, yeah. So like repairing muscle damage. Yeah, okay. pretty much. Yeah, yeah, you can clear out dead stuff. Gotcha. So think about, like when we look at blood work, we always have to remember it's a snapshot in that exact moment, right. and it's only what's in the blood. Right. So if monocytes, which you know are elevated in terms of the, the relative amount, so let's say 12%, yeah. then they're gonna be leaving the blood to go somewhere else. Right. So your white blood cells will appear low. Gotcha. So it's a pattern I'll see in overtraining. And I'll say, hey, white blood cells are low, monocytes are high, you don't seem to have digestive issues, so I don't think they're going into the digestion. I think they're really going in because you're doing too many eccentric contractions. Hmm. Okay. So I think what we need to do is we need to take away the eccentric contractions and we need to give you more concentric so there's less muscle damage and I need to give you less reps. So that way there's less volume overall. Right. And then I'll look at like a CMP and I'll look at sodium potassium ratios and somewhere around 30 to 35 is a good ratio. Gotcha. So if I see somebody that's at like a, a 28, I can safely make the assumption that they're kind of burned out. Right. And you know, you have to talk to the client, hey, what's going on? Right, so right. I see somebody that's like, yeah, I'm just not getting better. I'm tired, I struggle to wake up, I'm not hungry. And uh, yeah, and I'm like, all right, well, it looks like you're doing too many eccentric contractions. And to be honest with you, your sodium potassium ratio is at 28, so it looks like you're burned out. Mm. Maybe we should just stop training for three weeks and you know help you calm down. Recover. Yeah. Let's help your digestion out, because digestion is super energy expensive, right? Yeah. Parietal cells take a lot of ATP. Yeah. So what if we just start supporting digestion? You know, Digestion is a neuroendocrine process. Right. And that's something that I think a lot of nutritionists and coaches kind of sometimes might miss the boat on because mm, okay. we think digestion is chewing your food and then digesting. Yeah. We know that digestion starts when we know food's on the way. Mm. We've done it with like, you know, food porn. Like I can look at a pizza commercial, Papa John's, and I can get an insulin spike all of a sudden because I'm just thinking about something right. good. Well, because we're kind of like not evolved to see that kind of image yeah. all the time, right? Yeah. So if we see food, our understanding evolutionary is that that food is available to eat right now. Yeah, so let's start the digestive yeah, process. Let's, start, let's get it going. So I'll alter people's habits. Maybe yeah. I'll give them some digestive enzymes, like I'll recommend some enzymes to support or whatever, but you know, we'd start talking about, hey, slow down before you eat. You want more stomach acid production? You need to be in rest and digest. Mm -hmm. Neocetylcholine, which is more of a rest and digest neurotransmitter in the right. gut, take 10 deep breaths before you breathe or before you eat. Yeah. Great, awesome. Smell your food while you're doing that. Let your brain know it's on the way. Yeah, if you're, if you, and, and for those of you listening that might be thinking like, I don't know what he's talking about maybe, 
think about like contest prep clients, right? I've seen it over and over again or heard it over and over again from clients that as prep gets worse and worse for them, they spend more of their time on Instagram looking at food than anything else in their day. So there's something going on there mentally, right? Yeah. It's not just that they're hungry, but it's almost like they're satisfying some sort of urge to eat by just looking at the food. Yeah. You know? Yeah, well, there's a, a very big emotional connection to food. Food is very emotional. Absolutely. And it's, it's very tough. And this is where, you know, like you think of the person that, you know, lives in Mississippi and they, they won't give up their sweet tea. Right. It's like, well, yeah, because grandma used to make really good sweet tea and that reminds you of a great childhood. And right. yeah, I wouldn't want to give up my good memories either. So sure. there's a, an emotional connection. And I tell you to stop pressing the red button. All you're going to want to do is press the red button. How do you go about doing that with your clients as far as the nutrition side goes? where you see clearly that maybe there's some gut issues or maybe there's, you know, food choices yeah. aren't perfectly where they need to be. Um, how do you get them to buy into maybe say making the changes they need to make? Is it, do you let them know that it, it's not a permanent thing or perhaps it's not a permanent thing? One day maybe they can go back to enjoying some of those foods that they love so much, but right now it's pertinent to get some things repaired up front. How do you do that? Yeah, uh, I guess it really just depends on the person. Some clients are like, hey, tell me what I got to do and I'll do it, coach. Sure. Um, and then some clients, you know, they need to be more in charge of the decision making process. And so, and I've, I've made that mistake. Even recently, I made that mistake. I gave a client, you know, what they needed, but that was too much. So, yeah. did they need to do all these things? Absolutely. To get better and stronger and faster. And they are an emergency responder. Like they need to be able to do this because lives are on the line. Mm -hmm. But that was too much for them to bite off. And so I made that mistake of like, here, do all this stuff. Yeah. So I backed up and I was like, hey, listen, client, I want you to tell me what you think you're ready for. Right. And I will give you a priority or a hierarchy of like needs based on yeah. that. Let's start with this. Yeah. Let's get that down, go on to yeah. the next so, thing. Yeah. I sometimes even get so excited with this stuff because I'm so passionate that I might throw too much. Right. But as a general rule of thumb, I always, always, always ask for confirmation after I've written out a plan. Got it. So I say, hey, do me a favor. I've written out your next week of programming. Everything is up. How-to videos are up. Every explanation is up. All your percentages should be dialed in. Look it over. Let me know logistically if it makes sense. Let me know if timeline-wise it makes sense. Can you spend the amount of time in the gym? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And then for like nutrition, like, can you do this? Like, do you really have the ability for a food scale or no? Or are you able to limit these foods or can you add these foods or whatever it is? Whatever it is. And yeah. I get them to go, yeah, Michael, I can do that. I'm pumped. Okay. Because there's a difference between, yeah, I can do that versus like, hell yeah, I really want to do that, coach. Right. And if I can get that, hell yeah, I want to do that response, that's the plan I go with. Right. Right. Even if it's not perfect. Yeah. That's a good point because I think clients and I think coaches and clients suffer from the same thing when it comes to perfectionism. So yeah. a client feels like if they're not 100% adherent to the plan, then it's like, I might as well have just not done anything. Then they lose their mind and they go way off plan. And I think as coaches, we know the, the quote unquote perfect thing for the, for the client. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes it's like we forget that we might need to dial that back. 80% yeah. perfect is still better than not giving them anything totally right? yeah. yeah i think it's um the tenets of evidence-based practice man so i hear a lot of there's a lot of like evidence-based coaching and evidence-based fitness and practice sure. these days and it's actually something that kind of annoys me because 
it's seemingly going into the like, well, there's no evidence for that, so you shouldn't do that. Right. It's like, okay, but like the there's first no scientific study to prove that, bro. Yeah, but like the first pilot didn't have a pilot's license. Right. So I'm not going to wait around for some researcher to finally get enough money to research what I've seen in the trenches 30,000 times. Do I need to know every bit of minutia about that? No, I do not. Yeah. But there is a level of like evidence where it's like, okay, like, you know, uh, Dr. Philip Snell, like one of the most renowned back pain experts, like mechanical pain experts in the world. Mm -hmm. um, great guy. If, if, if you ever have a chance to like just chat with him, like have him on your podcast. He is amazing. Okay. Super cool. He likes good whiskey. So I really like him. Yeah. Um, but he always said that like evidence-based practice is really standing on a platform of scientific data that's published and we know what we think we know but it right. always can be upgraded but the real art of it comes from like reaching for something that's slightly out of grasp and just barely balancing on that platform yeah. so if we sit there and we're like well the data on gut health is inconclusive so uh yeah no just eat what you want calories are the only thing that matter that is one of the most dogmatic unevolved perspectives because there's enough data to stand on to be like okay like do we know everything of course we don't will we ever know everything probably not right. but we do know that taco bell is not going to be as good as broccoli and salmon right, right. so i think of it like i'm reaching yeah. but then to, to the next point of that evidence base also is taking in the client's values sure and so i need to know like what does my client really want what do they value and then how can I do whatever it is that I do to align with their values? And I have some clients, I have one client, I think I've done five consults with him in the last six years. I like my clients to do at least one consult a month with me. Yeah. He doesn't really care about doing them. He just sends me a message. Hey man, this week was great. Can we do it again? Yeah, if you want to do the exact same thing again, we can. Yeah. It's like, I do. All right, cool. I think it takes us, I mean, it's certain, everybody's got a different personality within totally. the client. I mean, I have, I'm sure you've seen the same thing. You get some clients that message you every day. Yep. You get some clients who you don't hear from for a whole month. And then all of a sudden they're like, Hey, I'm doing good by the way, just let you know. And yeah. then you don't hear from them again for another month or two. Yeah. Um, and it's just like just individual natures within each person. And totally. you kind of have to adapt the way, because if I were to tell that person, Hey dude, you need to, you need to send me check-ins every week. He's going to be like, that's too much for me. I don't, yeah. I don't need to hear from you every week. Right. Yeah. And at the same time, if I, you know, if you treat the other people poorly, they're, they're going to be like, I need more from you. Right. Yep. So I like to ask people, what are their expectations? Right. Yeah. That's, that's one of the first questions I ask. Yeah. Like, what is your expectation of me? Okay, great. Awesome. By the way, this is how I operate. Are you okay with that? Right. Cause I like to have my time off as well. Right. Yeah. And so I, I really am a huge fan of like clear boundaries yeah. and very good expectations. I think that's something that maybe young coaches is something I fell into early on is not setting those boundaries because oh, yeah. it can be really tempting to be up 10 o'clock at night. And you're, you know, sending text messages to 25 of your clients because yeah. they've just little by little taken more and more of your time. But you have to set that expectation up front. Like, Hey, you know what? You have a job where you have set hours. I'm trying to make my set hours as well. So if you're outside of those set hours, I'll get to you next, the next time I'm in the office or whatever the case may be. Yeah, man. Boundaries and expectations. It's only, it's, it's what's fair to clients. First of all, Yeah. because if they don't have it, it's like dealing, I don't mean clients are like children, but 
it's like having a child that has no rules. Right. Like they don't like they don't have an opportunity to grow. There has right. to be something that confines them for growth. Right. So it's the only fair thing really for a client to let yeah. them know that. Yeah. And it only just sets it sets up uh, an unrealistic or an unsustainable practice that eventually will fail. Right. There's going to be a blow up where you're like, hey, I can't take this anymore. Yep. Or they're going to get angry about it or one of the, whatever the case may be. Coaches can become very re- very resentful of their clients. Yeah because they didn't set boundaries. And when you have, I just had a consult with a client of mine today, another client of mine that's in Saudi as well. And uh, they were just like, they're burned out. And I'm like, yeah, because you don't take yourself seriously enough as a coach. Yeah. And it's nothing wrong. It's just, you know, when you had seven clients, you could give them all all, time. all this time. And now you have 27 clients. You yeah. can't do that. Yeah. You have to set boundaries, but that's a tunnel. I call it the tunnel of growth or the tunnel okay. of pain. You have to go through that tunnel because you have to recognize, yeah, I can't actually scale this time frame. Like yeah. if I'm going to give you three hours a day, I'm going to have to charge you for three hours of time. Yeah. And it's hard to think like that when you have seven clients. But once you get to a point where you have more and more clients, you're like, yeah, I need to figure out how to make this system smooth, scalable. And then I have to make sure that I charge adequately for it. And then I got to make sure that I'm not, I'm not biting off more than I can chew. And that only happens by being like, yep, okay, I have 20 clients. Oh, now I have 40 clients. Oh, yep, that's too much. Can't do that. And you just have to learn as you go. And it also comes down to your bandwidth too, man. Like I'm single. I don't have kids. I don't have a wife. That's a good point. I don't even have roommates, man. I live alone. I don't even have neighbors. Yeah. I'm completely alone. So I can sit here for nine hours a day and I love it. I love coaching. Yeah, I've got, you know, I think we have a mutual colleague, Brett Contreras. Yeah. And um, math teacher. This guy is like... (laughs) got some of the highest work rate I've ever seen. This guy's yeah. like a monster when it yeah. comes to programming and all that kind of stuff. But you know, like if you, if I compare myself to him, I think he gets a little less sleep than I do. I really like my sleep. Yep. I also really like doing some things like my morning routine is a certain way. And you could say like, I'm wasting some time with some of the stuff I do in the morning, but it's for me. Um, he's not married. He doesn't have kids. You know, he's in his gym all day. So like, yeah, he's busting out work all dang day. Yep. Whereas uh, some coaches might feel bad look comparing themselves because maybe they are married, maybe they do have children, whatever the whatever the case is, mm-hmm. it's like everybody's got their own thing, man. I used to compare myself to all of the industry greats. I was like, man, I'm not as smart as Brett. Yeah, I'm not as smart as Eric Cressy. I'm not as good as Mike Boyle. You know, yeah. and I would compare myself, and it was just like, wait a second, like I have no desire to work with MLB players like Eric Cressy does. So how can I compare myself? And I don't really like to work with physique competitors like Brett might. Right. Um, I've worked with them on like the fitness and resiliency side, but I don't really, that's just not my thing. So I got, I had to learn to like stop comparing and be like, well, what do I want to do? What am I fulfilled by? What are my values? And I think coaches make that mistake as they don't, they don't study their own value system Hmm. enough. I constantly reevaluate. I'll always ask myself like, what's occupying my time lately? What's on my brain all the time? What's in my personal space all the time? Yeah. What is the major type of book on my bookshelf these days? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then I'm like, all right, like I need to make sure that all of my life is aligning with whatever it is I value the most. Sure. When you do that, you know, distress becomes you stress. Yeah. Because you can love what you do, but even if you, even if you love skydiving, if you skydive eight hours a day, you're gonna burn out. You have bad. to. You have yeah. to get out of that. It's so. like you love training. You can't train all day. You gotta yeah. have time off, right? True that. So they say. 
Sure. There's no such thing as overtraining, bro. It's under recovery. <laughs> yeah. So we talked about like assessment, um, your assessment process being pretty thorough and very, very much well, customized. Customized to the person, right? Yeah, Depending like what they want. the blood work for the assessment's huge, but also, you know, looking at movement. This is where I actually think movement screens are pretty good when I think of assessment is like, you know, at the end of the day, we tend to think biochemistry because we learned all about Krebs cycle and electron transport yeah. chain and Cori cycle and phase one, phase two detox. And we forget that the body is electricity. Mm. I think we talked about that like two years ago. It's like, well, yeah, we what, what are you? Your matter held together by electricity, really? Sure. So... When I look at an air squat, if somebody has a poor air squat, poor quote unquote, um, my brain goes like, all right, like, you know, if you look like a dog pooping, that might be okay if you're by a campfire roasting some, you know, marshmallows. Mm -hmm. But if I try to put a heavy bar on your back, that's going to be more stressful on the system. Mm -hmm. And so that might actually cause more autonomic nervous system stress, so more sympathetic tone, as I would call it versus like somebody that might squat really well. So I'll use me as an example. I'm a good squatter. I have yeah. great squat mechanics. I'm not built to deadlift. And so deadlifting is really, really hard on me. When I remember when I was doing Olympic lifting, doing snatch deadlifting to fix my first pole, just doing pulls to the knee and then dropping the bar. I would, you. yeah, at 85% of my, my power snatch, I would need three minutes of rest after a double. Yeah. But you could ask me to squat and I would do 405 for sets of five back squatting on my E. So after a two hour lifting session, I could go back squat 405 for three sets of five with a two minute rest in between. And it was like, yeah, I got this because of my mechanics. Yeah. So when I look at mechanics and biomechanics, I think of injuries a little bit because I don't want you to be a soccer player who lands with a valgus knee right? Like that's injurious for sure. And I want to retrain that and make you resilient. But I also think, Hey, if you're not good at squatting and I give you a lot of squats, that's going to age you. Sure. That is going to age you rapidly. Yeah. Look at CrossFit. Crossfitters from five years ago who still CrossFit, they look older, <laughs> you know? That's a good point. Yeah. And so I think of, you know, that, and it's like, all right, I know that this guy, he wants to be an Olympic lifter or he wants to be a CrossFitter or I have a lot of tier one and tier two operators in the SF special operations world. Mm -hmm. And I'll look at them and, you know, I got guys that are six foot five, 230 pounds. They got to sit in a helo for two hours as they, you know, approach target. And that's not a very comfortable position. No, not at all. These guys are constantly in weird, awkward, stressful positions. And if they're not meant to squat very well, if they're not built for it and I give them more squats, I'm just, just screwing up their HRV at that point. Yeah. And so I might give them less squats. So uh, one guy I can think of, I never make him do volume and squats. On Monday, he'll squat because he's more fresh from the weekend. Mm. But it's literally, hey, Bill, do a tough five, move on. You have 10 minutes. Yeah. And then on Thursday, he squats again, and it's an EMOM speed work. It's like, hey, man, throw some chains on, 50%, EMOM 10 minutes times three to five. Got it. Never touches load for volume. Got it. And then every maybe 12 weeks, hey, Bill, do a tough single, and he's within 5%. I'm happy. Or if he PRs, I'm happy. Got it. But he's in his 40s, so I monitor that. But the dude is built to deadlift. He'll deadlift 550 any day of the week. Yeah. That's just what he does. How so did you, I, real quick, how did yeah. you figure that out with him? How did you figure out that, hey, this guy's a great deadlifter, but back squatting crushes him? How, what was that like? Conversation, you know, hey, how'd that feel, man? Like, dude, like I did three reps and I just felt like I needed a nap. But I also looked at his movement. Like I'll actually have clients send me videos of air squats. Show me an air squat. 
you know, I don't think you necessarily have to do the whole power dowel rod over your head, overhead yeah, squat thing, sure. but I'll watch your movement and mm -hmm. say, hey man, like, you know, that looks like that's a tougher movement for you. How does it feel when you load it up? I need a lot of rest between reps or I got to keep it, you know, yeah. lighter. Yeah. Got it. You know, and then you just start tracking those trends. Um, and then I started to notice, you know, more and more patterns in the movement screens. Same thing with, uh, you know, like certain shoulder mobility. Mm. You know, if you have really poor shoulder mobility and I'm going to ask you to bench press three times a week, you know, that might be stressful on your system. It's tough. Yeah. yeah. And then there's energy systems testing that goes into that, looking at, you know, uh, orthostatic challenge, thinking of central governor fatigue versus peripheral fatigue, your heart, you know, when your heart is uh, stationary, like on an assault bike or on like an echo bike or a, a you know, a C2, Concept 2 erg bike or whatever, mm -hmm. your heart doesn't move. So your stroke volume doesn't change as much. Mm. So your cardiac output can, it needs to be a certain amount. Mm -hmm. But when you're doing burpees, your stroke Moving. volume is changing. Cause when I'm standing upright, gravity is fighting blood return. Mm -hmm. When I lay down, gravity is not fighting blood return. So my heart rate naturally lowers. That's why we test resting heart rate laying down. Right. So if I'm doing this kind of thing and doing burpee box jump overs, that stimulus to the nervous system is very different because of the venous return to the heart. Sure. And we'll see HRV values change quite a bit because of that. Right. So I'll actually throw fitness tests into that and I'll say, hey, like we'll do this thing and we'll do this thing and what was the hard part about that? And so I'll be able to determine like, yeah, like you need to break down orthostatic challenge and that's why you're struggling with the obstacle course and that's why selection was so tough for you or that's why you failed the last election. So we need to build that out. Build that so when up. you go back to SFAS, you're ready to rock. So it sounds like, I mean, obviously it sounds like you've got a lot of different clients. Sounds like your assessment um, is, you know, pretty, you, you've got a, you've got it down pat as far as the kind of person that comes to you, you know how to um, choose, pick and choose the right assessments for that yeah. person, which is, you know, something a lot of people maybe don't realize, or, or at least maybe from where I come from a little bit more in fitness, the bodybuilding, the powerlifting side of things, like people don't think of guys in the special forces as being in the same ballpark, right? Or being in fitness. They only think about, you know, more through their lens. Um, but what do you think a coach can do maybe who wants to be more uh, multifaceted with their clients as far as who they work with? to build an assessment or build an ability to work with a lot of different kinds of people like you. Yeah. So I think like if you were to look at the common avatar of the human that I would work with, it's the human that is at one point a puzzle mm. and uh, somebody who's just gotten stuck, doesn't know what to do next. Nobody yeah. else can help them. Yeah. And so what I have found to work for me to be able to do that, because I would think in terms of, everything that I read is a book that'll help me be a better coach. So I will read books by environmental. Dr. Seuss? Yeah, <laughs> probably. Somehow, some way, right? So I could, I could, you give me a Dr. Seuss book and I could find a lesson in there for life. Okay. Green eggs and ham. There we go. Right? Like there's probably a lesson in life in that yeah. one. So when next uh -huh. time somebody asks me on Instagram to what's the best book I can read, I'll just say green eggs and ham. Possibly. It's a good book. Oh, um, yeah. But I think in terms of like, you know, I, I, I'm very, very fascinated with the idea of like detoxification because all throughout undergrad and grad school, I was told that we all detox just fine. Yeah. That's a big one, right? You hear these nutritionists say that the liver no does thing. everything. Yeah. Which is complete bullshit. Yeah. Nutritionists need to get on, get on the level because yeah. they just need to start reading more research. Got it. Um, I know that's really blunt of me to say, but it's all right. We have enough shots evidence. fired folks. Yeah. We have enough evidence now to show that that's not true. Yeah. Um, 
but I'll read books by environmental medicine doctors on toxicology. I've gone to medical conferences and talked to PhDs in toxicology and just being like, wow, like I'm never gonna cure that because I'm not a doctor, but just understanding how heavy metals and chemical toxicity and environmental pollutants can impact your health and resiliency mm. changes how I might write a program. Yeah. And then, you know, understanding Especially how to interpret it in blood work. Looking at where that person lives, what their occupation totally. is, what they're exposed to, like yeah. all that stuff matters, right? We have uh, research now that shows us that there's a higher prevalence of disease and cancer in people that live near airports. Yeah. There's higher pesticide rates in people that live near golf courses. Yeah. And so that impacts a lot of stuff like pain and performance and fitness. I think you won't see it as much in like the bodybuilding world because bodybuilding is a different type of world. Yeah. As intensity goes up, metabolic intensity goes up, you're going to see more and more issues. Yeah. So CrossFit and tactical worlds, you see that a lot more than you would in like physique, I think, sure. which is why I think a lot of nutritionists don't get it because they just don't live in the world where they have to see that. Yeah. Um, but in terms of coaches being able to be more broad spectrum, you know, read everything, read books on toxicology, read everything by Shirley Rogers, detox by or die, pain free in six weeks, death by dioxins, read those books, go read the research, read up on Brian Walsh. Brian Walsh had a ton of stuff on detoxification. Mm. Go read all the stuff he's talked about and then go take his courses. He's done, he's done online courses for clinicians with lots and lots and lots Brian of Walsh, research. Brian Walsh, you said, yeah? Yeah, Brian Walsh. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what is his look, background, do you know? A naturopathic medical doctor. Okay, there you yeah, go. and I believe he was a strength coach prior. Okay. Um, so like look into his stuff. Start looking at John Sarno's work. Start looking into psychosomatic medicine and recognizing that pain is not just movement. Yeah. Now, sometimes clients might think it is because they correlate, I squat, my knee hurts, but we gotta recognize that there's more to that. So read books by John Sarno, read uh, The Body Keeps the Score. As hippie as the guy is, read up on Paul Check's stuff. Yeah. How to eat, move, and be healthy. That book is a classic. Like, read that. Yeah. You know, um, read up on gut health. You know, there's a weird thing where a lot of the, in the, the functional fitness world and in the tactical world, we have a lot more money in that, like, tactical world now, where we know that, like, gut health is a big deal for performance mm -hmm. and fitness. I think it's not known as much in the physique world. Because Probably it's like, not, no. I mean, especially yeah. the people I work with, I've yeah, never well, heard of it. If it fits your macros, bro. Yeah. And I think generally that probably is true because when you're younger, which is your general avatar of a physique competitor, yeah. usually, usually, there's more resiliency, right? Like when you're 20, you can kind of just eat what you want and get away with it. Right. You can't do that at 47. You haven't filled your cup, so to speak, of everything you've been exposed to. Totally, man. So I think like if coaches in that world wanted to learn more about gut health, go read up on all of the stuff on the microbiome, the gut balance of evolution, the good gut, Go read up on Perlmutter's work, you know, read all of those yeah. books and then be open to the idea that like nobody is smart enough to be wrong 100% of the time. There's always a partial truth to everything. Smart enough to be right 100% no, of the time. smart enough to be wrong. Ken Wilber said that in The okay. Theory of Everything. He wrote a textbook or a book called The Theory of Everything. He said nobody is smart enough to be wrong 100% of the Explain time. Explain that. What does that mean? It means that there's a partial truth to everything. Got it. So whatever you say, something is gonna be wrong. Sure. Uh, my job is to find out what that is. And whatever I say, I will be wrong about something. Interesting. And I'm totally okay with that. My job is to find out where I'm wrong and to keep removing those things where I'm wrong so I can grow. But that, so and that's I, like a constant process, right? You're never gonna remove all the wrong. No, I'll never, I'll, I'll yeah. never ever, because I will always be fallible. The, I will the more you learn, the more you can get wrong, right? Yeah, totally. 
but that's where I think like, you know, go read up on, you know, even genetics, man, like go read the biology of belief, go read um, about the science of telomeres and how we recognize now that you can actually change telomere length just through lifestyle. Yeah. Read Ben Lynch's book, Dirty Genes. Um, you know, all those books are fantastic at opening your eyes. To, it's a lot more than calories in, calories out. Yeah, you know, that's very and true. It's a lot more than just DUP. Sure. You know, if I, I mean, I think if coaches start doing that and they start to think about patterns, what I recommend, highlight whatever it is you already know. Highlight what you do. Stop looking for the things you're, you're stop looking for the secret squirrel sauce. Start highlighting the stuff like, actually, I already knew that and did that. I'm going to highlight that one. Yeah. Cause you'll start to recognize patterns and principles. And when you recognize yeah. principles, you can work you can with learn anyone. anything. You can do everything. Yeah. Yeah. So I think for, for those who have, have listened so far, you might be feeling a little intimidated by how much knowledge this guy has and, and don't feel bad because I'm sitting here just as intimidated as I always am about Michael and his knowledge. Um, but one thing I admire about you is your, your ability to constantly be hungry to learn. You're always wanting to learn new things. You consume a vast amount of, I don't know how many books you've already dropped the name of on this podcast so far. There's always a new one that's on your Amazon shopping list. What, what fuels you? What drives you to keep learning like that? Um, Asperger's. <laughs> yeah. To be honest with you. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, man. I, I only found out a few years ago that I'm on the spectrum. Um, but there's something about, have you ever seen The Accountant with yeah. Ben Affleck, right? Yeah. Great movie. That scene where in the very beginning of the movie and he's like, he's putting the puzzle together and he yeah. loses that last piece and he and flips out. Flips out. Yeah. Can't take it. Uh, that is me when I don't understand something. Yeah. Like if something is not clicking or if I'm working with a client and something's not working, I'm, I will, I'll stay up till two in the morning, just reading research after research, study after study, book after book. I will text message doctors. I know all over the world. Hey, help me out here. Like I'm thinking this, like, can you give me some ideas of where I should go? I can't, stop like it's a level of like ocd yeah um so when i see patterns that don't do this yeah i don't fit it i become very obsessed with it um I, I read a textbook a few years ago in like two weeks because i couldn't solve a problem so i like read through this textbook in two weeks and then i, I figured a lot of stuff out out of it and then everything calmed down again just like in that movie he gets the puzzle, the puzzle piece, piece and he's like huh. yeah so now that's can relax that's how my mind works yeah so i, I my mind doesn't really stop um there's a lot of detriments to that, obviously. Like there's a lot of ability and disability that comes with it. So I've struggled, sure. I struggled a lot growing up. Uh, I didn't really ever belong anywhere. I was always kind of the weird one. I spent most of my time alone. I'm obviously very comfortable alone because no neighbors live alone, no yeah. roommates, no girlfriend, yeah. nothing. <laughs> um, I definitely always struggled with that stuff, but that's kind of where my hunger comes from, just wanting to solve the puzzle. Yeah. Um, and there's a level of ego that comes to it. Like sure. I do enjoy like the masculine accomplishment of being like, yes, I fixed it. Yeah. I figured it out. Like yeah. there's, there's a level of ego that hits there. And uh, as Kenny Weiss, well, you know, Kenny, I know Kenny. Yeah. So Kenny, shout out to Kenny Weiss. Yeah. Great book. Your journey to success. Yep. I give that book to almost every client that's uh, struggling with anything in life. Um, but Kenny, you know, he told me a couple of years back, um, one, Kenny is probably one of the most influential mentors of my life, not because he taught me stuff, but he gave me ideas of where to research. And I think Got good it. mentors give you ideas sure. versus teachers teach. 
he just like said things and would mention things for me to research. He just messaged me on Instagram the other day. Hey, I saw your book post. You might want to buy this book too. Mm. So he gave me the tools to go learn on my own. Right. Um, but Kenny said that, you know, it's okay to live through your traumas because I was traumatized a lot as a child for different things. And we all are. Every human being has been traumatized. Yeah. Um, but for me, it was learning to live through my trauma in a positive outlook. So yeah. for the rest of my life, all I really care about is loving as many people as I can, being there to help as many people as I can. And, um, you know, the ego part is like, yeah, man, like I get an ego boost out of it because mm. it feels good. Yeah. But also it's like, I, I got to make sure that I, I use my gifts to, to help leave others. the world better than when I found it. That's awesome, man. Yeah. What, um, what are you working on with your own fitness right now? What, what are your goals? Uh, honestly, so I just ran like zillion things in my blood work last Friday. Um, I ran everything from full thyroid to full, you know, kidney and liver, full hormone panel, have everything that you could possibly order um and uh i'm waiting for the results i have everything back except for like two things and i'm really trying to gear my fitness up to help me be as healthy as possible um because i was traveling for quite a bit um in the last four months i think i took eight 17 hour flights wow and it was really stressful yeah in the last year and a half two years i've probably taken uh, maybe upwards of like two dozen, maybe even three dozen 17 hour flights. Yeah. Like I've been all over the world. In the people last don't think years. about how that kind of stuff, even if it's just for vacation, right? People don't think about how that can impact them. Oh, it's so toxic to fly. Um, I mean, one, you're five miles up, so you have less atmosphere, so more yeah. radiation. Radiation from the sun. Aluminum does not protect you from that. Absolutely not. <laughs> jet fuel. Jet fuel is very oxidatively stressful. Sure. Recycled, the recycled air, there. viruses so and bacteria, so there's oxidative through, stress um, there. Going through security. Yeah, radiation from that. You have EMF on planes. Sure. That We now have Super evidence. Super concentrated that, in yeah. the cabin. Yeah, yeah totally. So, you know, I, I really made myself unhealthy traveling the world, you know. I thought it'd be cool. I lectured all over. I have my own continuing education seminar, and, mm -hmm. but it really messed me up. So my fitness goal now is really to just get myself healthy because someday I think I like, you know, well, no, I don't think I know someday I really want to be married and have a family. Okay. Um, that is a very big life goal of mine, but, uh, you have to be resilient. Well, yeah. So resiliency is interesting because you could have low perception. I got this one from James Fitzgerald actually, like okay. in terms of how he worded it. And I think he worded it so beautifully well that I just stole it from him, but I'll give him credit because it's definitely something that he said first. Um, a low perception and high, uh, low awareness or low perception and the resiliency up, like that's good. So like, yeah. because of the way my mind is wired, I could go 36 hours without sleep and it sucks, but like I can still do stuff. Yeah. So I was able to push through all that type of flying and, uh, not notice what was going on. Yeah. But it dug me a hole. So like one day, like for me to, you know, have a wife and to have kids, I need to be the best man I can be. And part sure. of that is being healthy enough to be mentally acute with them, mm. to be able to provide, protect, and, you know, serve them. So I really want to get myself as healthy as possible. So I've been working on that. And uh, so far the results show that my kidneys are really taxed. I've got a mm. lot of renal insufficiency. Got it. So doing a lot of cool herbal Chinese medicine things for my, yeah. for my kidneys. Um, so that's my goal for my fitness right now. I mean, I like being jacked. I like looking good naked, obviously. Like, sure. You know, I like to be, that should be, that's probably everybody's goal. Let's be yeah. honest. Yeah. So like I, 
I like being lean. I'm, I'm around like maybe eight, nine percent body fat right now. Yeah. Um, I enjoy it. I like being strong. Yeah. I do a lot of aerobic work. I try to run, you know, at least three or four times a week, just easy intervals. Um, and I love bench pressing. Um, my nervous system's a little taxed, so I do a lot more pushing than I do pulling. Got it. Pushing is a lot less taxing. Like bench pressing is less hard on your nervous system than Absolutely, deadlifting. Absolutely, yeah. That's so, why powerlifters can bench press three, four times a week, no problem. Totally. They can't deadlift three, four times a week. Exactly. And that's where, when I look at blood work as well, sodium potassium ratio, I can tell you based on your labs what kind of movement patterns you probably need to be doing more of. Mm, so right based now- on what what you're looking like, how taxed you're looking. Totally. What's going on, yeah. Yeah, on top of a movement assessment as well. Absolutely, yeah. So like right now, lots of bench pressing, lots of pushing, more single leg stuff. Like I'll do rear foot elevated split squats with you know 100 to 110 pounds per hand for five to 10 reps. Um, so I'll do that instead of heavy back squats. No loading of the spine right now. Yeah. Just doing a lot of bench split squats, uh, doing a lot of like, curls, calf raises, a lot of row repeats. Got know, it, got it. Stuff to make General you ready fitness. for next summer. Strong, fit, yeah. in shape, cardiovascular-wise, looking good, all that stuff. Yeah, my one thing I like is to be very powerful and fast. Speed, yeah. to me, is my thing. Like, I would rather be speedy than powerful, and I'd rather be more speedy than strong. So I'm okay yeah. having a 405-pound back squat. In the strength world, that's child's play but it's strong enough for me and I know that I'm very fast. And yeah. like, I've done martial arts since I was five, so maybe four, four or five. And uh, my brother was just in town and he's 53 and he always beat up on me and he's done martial arts his entire life too. <laughs> and uh, the fact that when I was 16, he kicked my ass, he beat the crap out of me. Yeah. And I told him, I was like, one day I'm gonna be able to get you and I'm gonna be able to beat you. I'm gonna be better than you. And I was so obsessed because it's a puzzle I couldn't solve. So I obsessed over training and being fast and so, Kind of like how some people need to have like a certain bench press number or else they feel like not good. Yeah. If I don't feel fast, I feel very not okay. If I can't sprint 20 meters and then have quick hands and quick reflexes, I don't feel like myself. So speed is a big thing for me too. Cool, man. Dude, I think that we could keep talking forever. I'd like to have you on again because yeah. I feel like we've only scratched the surface of everything we yeah. can talk about. Um, I want to but... come on with Jeff. Yeah, I, in fact, Barron? I'm gonna have Dr. Barron on, yeah. so we'll do a we'll do a second one, which is we'll, we'll have both of you on at the yeah. same time. We'll do a. Love I'll have to get some new mics actually because I don't have the equipment for that yet. But we'll I'll, get another one. I'll bring some bourbon because that's the Jeff go. and I do. There that's... we go, and then we'll get some steaks afterwards. Absolutely, absolutely. So where can people find you, man? What um, what what resources do you have available for people, and where can yeah. they find you? Uh, they can they can always find me on Instagram. That's probably the best way to reach me is just Coach underscore Michael underscore Ban. Okay. You could email me at Michael Ban at thebigdogs.com, and okay. dogs is D A W G S. Okay. Um, I work for Big Dogs, obviously, which is okay. a subsidiary company of OPEX Management Corporation. So awesome. Um, so you can always email me there, but honestly, usually the best way is Instagram. Instagram, okay. Yeah, and slide into my DMs. You mentioned earlier having some um, some courses that you do. What, what do those look like for people who are interested? Yeah, so I, I've had a continuing education course um, that I created. Basically, I teach coaches how to be more broad spectrum in their assessment process. Cool. Um, so, so those of you who were impressed by his assessment and all the things he's been talking about, you can learn straight <laughs> from him. Yeah, <laughs> I basically talk at you for nine hours, two yeah. days in a row. Yeah, and then usually I, I genuinely love to teach. I mean, one of the things about Asperger's is I just love to talk at people. Yeah, yeah. That's why I just let you go whenever I ask you questions. <laughs> if you got for those of you 
maybe thinking like, why isn't Andres talking? Because I just enjoy watch, listening to this guy talk. He's got so much good stuff to say. <laughs> well, thank you. But I do like to take the people out to dinner that, you know, when they do go to uh, my seminar or my course, yeah. it's kind of like, hey, can we all go to dinner and just shoot the shit? And yeah. I'm not a, I'm, I'm a first name basis guy. I hate being called coach. Huh. And like when I eventually, because I'm traveling a lot these days, like when I go back to school for my second graduate degree and I, be, I have my doctorate, yeah. I'll never let anybody call me doctor. Yeah. I'm very much like a, yo, Michael. Yeah, or good. Michael Band. Most people call me Michael Band. Yeah. They don't call me Michael. I think I'm one of the only people that you let call you Mike. Yeah, you and like maybe a handful, like less than five others. Yeah, it's because yeah. I snuck in before back in the anatomy days, and I started yeah, calling you Mike. I was Mike back then. Yeah, yeah. Then I grew up, I guess. I guess so. <laughs> cool, man. Well, like I said, it's a pleasure to have you on, yeah, dude. Thank you. Uh, we gotta have to do this again. I'll probably have you on multiple times because there's always a new learning to be had. Yeah, man. I'd love... Yeah, anytime. Thank you cool. for having me. Absolutely, man. Cool, bro.